We're starting a new series today from the Beatitudes, Blessed Are, and it's been a long time since I've spoken on the Beatitudes, and I thought this would be a great time to go back to them and revisit them. Um, blessed are and all these eight Beatitudes that Jesus gives. You know, that expression, blessed are, is seen throughout the Old and New Testament, isn't it? It's just the great thing that God just keeps declaring to us, that a life in Him is a life that is going to be blessed. It's, it's the way that you want to live. In fact, someone has taken that word beatitude and they've seen two words in it. They've seen the word be and the word be, it's like Shakespeare, to be or not to be. It's existence, to live or to die. And so to be, and then he takes the letter and adds the T and makes it attitudes, the beatitudes, the attitudes that we live by the way that God wants to bless us, the life that's the best life. Uh, the word beatitude is really a Latin word, and it means extreme happiness. And it's more than just what we think of in terms of being happy in our society today. It's really the idea of being blessed, extremely blessed. And when the Bible uses the word blessed, it's the idea of contentment or to be satisfied in the Lord or to have a well-being. It is well with my soul. That sort of thing. And to be fulfilled. And so Jesus gives in Matthew 5 these eight blessings. And it, it begins with the introduction that Jesus called his disciples to him on the mountain and he began to teach them. I think it's a misnomer to think that Jesus just gave this Sermon on the Mount one time. In fact, just the words there in Matthew 5, he began to teach them, implies what? That he does it over and over and over again. It's a continual teaching. That's why Luke's varies a little bit from Matthew's because it's a different setting. And, and so just like any good preacher would do, keeps using the good stories and the good lines over and over again in different settings. But it's the idea that Jesus is saying these are the principles. These are the attitudes you need to be to really exist and you need to get these ingrained in you to really understand what they're doing. And it's no accident that Matthew frames this with the whole purpose of mind of showing Jesus is that great prophet that was predicted in Deuteronomy, a prophet greater than Moses, and that there is a comparison and contrast between the Mosaic law covenant and the new covenant that God brings. When Moses goes to the mountain, he receives the law, doesn't he? And here on the mountain, Jesus teaches his disciples these new covenants, these blessings and the things that follow. When, when Moses was there, he was the one that was the one that was saying, look, here are the blessings that come before that. So before he even gives the law to the people in Deuteronomy 28, he lists all these blessings that are going to come if you follow after those, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. And Jesus does the same thing. Before he gives the new covenant and the things that he's teaching here, he says, here are the blessings. This is what it is to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This is the beatitudes that you live out. And it's just so apparent that they're doing those blessings. And Moses told the people that those blessings that he listed are to be taught over and over and over again, from parents to children to children to children. And Jesus does the same thing here. So it's the teaching. 
So I want to read the blessings to begin with. Then we're going to look at the first one today and then work our way through them, Lord willing, through the next several weeks. And I also want to see the outcome of what that life looks like that Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs will be, they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so you have this blessings here, right? The blessings. Here's what God wants to do for you. Uh, life that God gives you is to be a blessed life. And he makes this promise to us to have a life of contentment and well-being, being fulfilled and satisfied. And he tells us this in Psalm 144, verse 15. Look at this. Here's the promise. Isn't this a great promise? Blessed are those whose what? God is the Lord. There's true life. That's what it means to be, to live with the right attitudes. And so these beatitudes that Jesus gives us point to specific needs that we have and the blessings that follow when we put these into practice. Uh, for example, in the first one, we know that we all need to find God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We need to find God. When we find God and make our spirit poor before him, here's the blessing. We receive the kingdom of heaven. It's ours. In the next one, we all need repentance. We have regrets and remorse over sin that we commit we need to repent, and when we repent, we receive the blessing of being comforted. In the third one, we all need hope. We all need hope. And so, in this life, those who are meek come under the submitted will of God. They're going to receive the blessing of an inheritance. We also need spiritual nourishment. We need spiritual nourishment. So, what do we find? Those that are hungry and thirsty, they shall be what? They'll be filled. We all need help, don't we? We need help from God. We need to approach the throne room of God to find our help in time of need. When we are turning to him for help, it says that we receive the blessing of being, having mercy. We all need heaven. So we need to be pure in heart. When we're pure in heart, we receive the blessing of seeing God. We need harmony in our world, don't we? Boy, we see that right now, don't we? We need harmony. So we need to receive the blessing of being in part of God's family, that harmony that's there. And we all need perseverance because here is the eighth startling beatitude. It's startling. If I live this way, then there's going to be persecution. And so what I need is perseverance and the blessing will be a reward. Now, that's startling, isn't it? Go through all those, get number eight, and by the way, the eighth one, you're going to be persecuted. Now, it's interesting because many people that are not Christians look at the Beatitudes and they call it an ethical treatise. If everyone would just live by these ethics, they say, everything would be good. We could get along. You can't do it without Jesus. You cannot live these Beatitudes without Jesus. You cannot turn this into an ethical treatise for the world, for a social gospel, for humanity. The world cannot do this without Jesus. Are we clear on that? We're going to see that. It's impossible. 
it becomes frustrating because the point is, is that when we live the way God wants us to live, the world does not embrace that lifestyle. It kills it. It destroys it. Jesus talked about life to its fullest in John 10. And he said, look, here's the devil. He's a thief that comes to kill and destroy. He comes to kill and destroy. He wants to kill and destroy anything that's good. <clears throat> and Jesus will later say, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you as well. The devil does not go to one part and sow a garden of weeds and says, here's all the evil in the world right here. <clears throat> I'm going to leave all the good alone. If you're trying to live this life, well, you obviously belong to God, so I'm going to leave you alone. And I'm going to put my evil over here. There is no devil street and no church street, okay? The devil wants to be on every street. And if you're planting a garden of good, uh, he's in there sowing the weeds among the wheat, why? He wants to kill and destroy and steal the goodness. So this is why Jesus is telling us, when you live this way, I want you to know that you're going to have opposition, the devil. Expect it, but I have come into this world to give you life and give it to the what? Fullest. And this is what he's talking about here in the Beatitudes. Now, what does that life look like? Well, here's the outcome in Matthew 5, 13 and following. You're going to be the salt of the earth. How are you the salt of the earth when you live by these Beatitudes? Drop down a little bit further. You're going to be the light of the world. Town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bow. Instead, they put it on a stand and its light gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why are you persecuted? Because the devil doesn't want the salt and the light in his world. When you stand out and live the way God wants you to live, you can expect it. So let me ask you. If someone asked you today, how are you? How are you doing? I hear this a lot. How, how are you doing? And people say, I am blessed. I am better than I deserve, right? I'm blessed. What do we mean by that? If I said, well, what do you mean that you're blessed? I dare say that many of you do not start off with your material possessions. What makes your life a blessing? What do you mean you're blessed more than you deserve? I, I, I know if you ask me, the material things that I have in my life would be on the lowest part of my list of the why I think that God has blessed me. And yet in our material culture, the emphasis upon being blessed is always on what we have, right? On what we have. And the more we have of that, the more we seem to be blessed. And yet, Jesus teaches us the following principle. That blessings pour from what you are and not from what you have. The blessings from God pour from what you are and not what you have. And so, this is so important for us to know. It's an inside-out conviction. It's a conviction of the heart, a submission of the will. And this is why when we count our many blessings, we name them what? One by one. That we are to count our bliss blessings and not list our troubles. Because Jesus pours out those blessings into what we are and not what we have. Now, so what are you? 
We'll go to Ephesians 1 verse 3. Let's look at the blessings we have. What are you? You are a child of God. Bless the God and Father. Who's your father? God is your father. You're blessed to be part of the family of God. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ to you? He is your Savior. You're saved by Jesus Christ. What do you have through God your Father and your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? He has blessed us in Christ with what? With every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. How are you doing? I'm blessed. Better than I deserve. I am blessed with salvation from God. I'm blessed with the riches of his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his love. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in heaven. Because God is my father and because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's what he does for us. So you look at this first beatitude and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's, let's just get this out of the way, what this does not mean. This is not talking about being poor financially. This is not taking a vow of poverty. Blessed are you who take a vow of poverty because yours will be the kingdom of heaven. That's not this. It's not financial poverty. Remember, the blessing is about happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction, contentment in God. And so when you look at this, I know rich people who are miserable. I know poor people economically that are miserable. Financial does not be the, the cue, if you will, or the key to happiness, all right? Being poor in spirit is not a financial poverty, nor does it mean to be poor spirited. Hear it? It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the poor spirited. This does not mean to have a low, down, poor spirit, put down opinion of yourself. It's not a self-loathing. It's not a negative self-image. You're to be poor in spirit, not to be poor spirited. And what that means is you have humility, humility. Now, some people are suffering from a low, poor spirited image, aren't they? But that's not going to make you happy, is it? That's not going to bring a blessing. So that's not what it's referring to. In fact, some don't suffer from having a poor spirited attitude. They have a puffed up sense of importance, don't they? That's the opposite problem they have. They, they're like that rooster that loves to crow about themselves. They think they have a lot to crow about. And so in Romans 12, it says, don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance. Don't think you're a big shot when you're not, right? Don't be arrogant. Don't be like that rooster that crows. You know, many are like that old, old rooster who thinks because he's crowing that the sun rises every morning. And just some people are just like, they think the whole world revolves around them. Like that old rooster. You don't have anything to crow about when it comes to your spiritual condition. We have to empty ourselves of that puffed up pride, fill ourselves with humility in order for God to pour into our spirit the richness of his grace and his salvation. Amen? C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, says this about true humility. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. See, it's not being poor spirited. It is thinking of yourself less. Isn't that great? It's a great statement about what it means to have humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the opposite of this is pride. 
The opposite of this is to be arrogant, to be haughty, to think we can do it without God. And I love what the Bible says in Proverbs 16. You know it. Pride goes before what? Destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, I want you to look at that word poor because even in our English, the Greeks also had different levels of what that word poor meant. So here's what the word poor in the Greek literally means. And I want you to go to the story, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. In this story, there's a rich man that has so much food and so much material things that he eats and eats all he wants to and there's leftovers and leftovers. And at the gate and sometimes at the very foot of the table is there's man named Lazarus who's described as a what? I put it in yellow in case you can't see it. As a beggar. A beggar. Totally dependent upon help from someone else to live. He is so malnourished he is so physically sick and filled with disease because he does not have anything to eat or anything that even when he sits to get the crumbs off the table of the rich man, the dogs are licking his sores. That is a destitute, impoverished, bankrupt, totally dependent person needing someone to survive. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, this is the word he uses. It should be, blessed is the beggar in spirit. Blessed is the Lazarus spiritually, who cannot on his own even survive, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love the two old songs. Nothing to the cross I bring, simply to the cross I cling. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I surrender all. I surrender all. And yet, knowing that and even hearing that and realizing that to be true, we sometimes find ourselves like the people in Laodicea. Laodicea had become so lukewarm in their spiritual relationship with God. They, said, they decided that they didn't need anything, that everything was just fine in their life. Remember that? That they didn't need a thing. In fact, Jesus says in Revelation 3, 17, you're saying you're rich. That you have everything you need, but you don't see it. You don't know. You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You're a beggar who's pretending to be a rich person. And you see, God can't work with that. He needs our humility. We have nothing to crow about, all right? Uh, look in James, what it says. And here's the reason why we have nothing to crow about. Because we tend to think, well, you know, I'm, really, I'm here today. I'm worshiping God. I mean, my neighbors are mowing their yard. They're, they're going to Starbucks or they're having some sort of get-together today, you know? They're tailgating somewhere. I'm in worship with the Lord today. My lifestyle, my, the th I obey more of God's word than my neighbors do, than my friends do. You see that? What are, what, you're crowing like a rooster, all right? <laughs> and, and this is what we need to understand. It's not a percentage of how good you are, all right? It's not that. That was the problem with the rich young ruler. 
He started naming his credentials before Jesus when he should have been declaring, I'm a beggar before you, Lord. I'm not a good person. I need you. And this is what happens so often. We begin to list our credentials as to all the good things we're doing. We have nothing to crow about. James, the person who keeps every law of God, but makes one little slip. See that? How many? Five, six, ten, twenty, thirty. How many? Y'all can do one. One little slip is guilty of breaking, as guilty as the person who has broken every law there is. It's not a percentage. If you're trying to get to heaven based upon how good you are, <laughs> you're not getting there. You're not beggar enough. There's a realization that what we need is to realize that none of us, none of us have the spirit to be able to be perfect before God without him. That we cannot enter heaven without him. And so what hope do we have? And that is to humble ourselves before God, to have the riches of his salvation. Now, here's the deal. When you give your life to God through Jesus Christ and you're rich in his salvation, here's what Paul says. Where sin increases, grace increases more and more and more. Grace is always greater than your sin. Every sin violates God's word, right? But God gives us the grace through Jesus Christ to do that. Now, pride is our downfall. It's our destruction. So we need the humility to come before God as a beggar, totally needing him. Now, here's the promise he gives us in Isaiah 66, verse 2. Here's what he does. He pays attention to that. I pay attention to those who are humble and sorry for their sins and who will do what? Tremble at my word. Tremble at my word. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not being poor spirited, not taking a vow of poverty, not being filled with pride, but it's humbly confessing, confessing before God that you need him. And I'll tell you something else it's not. It's not comparing yourself to the person sitting next to you in the pew. In fact, the Bible says stop comparing yourselves to one another, Right? Stop comparing yourselves to one another. Yeah, you know the story that Jesus told. So here's these two men at the temple, right? So here's the religious leader. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like that tax collector over there. Not like him at all. No, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Well, that rooster's crowing, isn't he? Rooster's crowing. I go to Sunday school. I give my offerings. I don't swear. Watch the right shows. Live the good life. My neighbor over there drinks, parties, gets in trouble. I thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm me. Hear it? Hear it? Any, you know anyone like that? You're quiet on that one, all right? <laughs> second, second person in this story, the tax collector whom the man just pointed to, said, I'm glad I'm not like him. He stands at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Beggar, poor in spirit. He beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, sinner. 
Which one do you think God wants us to be? Which one do you think God is going to bless in that? You know it, don't you? Total dependence, I need you, God. In fact, here's what Jesus says. I tell you that this man, referring to the tax collector, who pleads for mercy, rather than the other, the rooster that crowed, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those that humble themselves will be what? Exalted. Don't compare yourselves to others. Go to the throne of God and beg for his mercy. And he'll lift you up. He'll fill that poor in spirit, the richness of his love and his grace, his mercy and his salvation through Jesus Christ. It's a struggle though. Paul clearly lays that out in Romans chapter 7. How many believe that what Paul says in Romans 7 is a tongue twister when you read it fast? I mean, it's a tongue twister. The sentence structure itself is a tongue twister. I can't even say it right now, right? And, and you have also the content is really twisted. It's a struggle within it. But there's a clarity here of the twist and the turns and the struggle and the work and the warring of the, the law of the flesh that struggles with its pride and does not want to turn over and submit to God. So what I want us to see here is the sharp contrast. Paul says, what I don't understand. What I don't understand is why I act the way I do. I don't do the good I want to do, and I do the evil I hate. I don't understand it. What don't you understand? I understand I have a desire to do what's right. And this is what he says in the next verse. I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I, I don't do the good that I want to do. I do the evil that I don't want to do. Hear the tongue twister? The life twister? The desire is there. The want to is there. But what I do, I don't understand. And then he begins to understand that it's not about self-exertion or motivation or willpower. No, what's at work is this work. These laws. And so he says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. See, here we are again. When you're blessed in the Beatitudes, what's the final blessing? You will be persecuted. Evil's always alongside the good, isn't it? The devil wants to destroy the good. Here is Paul saying, I want to do what's good. I want to live and act by what's good. And yet there's evil right there tripping me up every time. Why is that? Because there's a law at work. And he mentions three laws. The law of the flesh, where you're tempted. The law of sin, which destroys. And the law of God, which brings freedom and salvation. And he talks about those works that are going on. And he says there's a big war going on here. It's a war inside you. Look in verse 21 again. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, that's the law of sin, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So here he has what I want to do, and what I want to do is not the evil, but I find myself doing it, and it's a warfare that's happening within me. So then he uses this another word, this word wretched. See it? Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, if I asked you what the opposite word of blessing is, you would probably say curse. But the word blessing means to be happy. The word wretched means to be unhappy. 
A wretched man is an unhappy person, an unfulfilled person, an unsatisfied person. It is not well with their soul. They are miserable. This is a picture that Paul gives of himself without Jesus Christ. And here he wants to do what is good. He humbly recognizes that he can't. He recognizes that there's a work and a war going within him and has created with him a wretchedness. He's, if you will, unblessed. You see it? He doesn't want to be miserable. He wants to be blessed. He wants to have that fulfillment there. And so he needs God to deliver him, doesn't he? Are you with me? So here's how he ends in verse 25. And this is what we look at too. How do I become poor in spirit and what do I do with that? What's the answer? Thanks be to who? To God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus is the one who died for us. We were washed from our sins by his blood on the cross. He has saved us from our sins. And because of that, when I am poor in spirit and totally humble myself before God, he gives me the blessing of theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You become part of the kingdom of heaven. John the Baptist had a ministry. Repent for the kingdom of what? Heaven is near. These sayings are so hard that many people believe that he's talking about the future kingdom. This is how we will all live in the future kingdom of Christ. It's not just a future saying. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's what the Bible says. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is among you. So it's talking about the present and the future. That you can live these beatitudes out through Jesus Christ by his grace because he has delivered us from our sins and our wretchedness. So be poor in spirit. You'll be blessed. You'll be rich in God's mercy, grace, forgiveness, and salvation. And he will give you, by his will, that blessed, content, happy, satisfied life that you want to be all about. Amen? Amen. Well, we close every Sunday morning lesson with an invitation. And if you have a spiritual need, we encourage you to write to the email address on the screen or contact your shepherd group leader. Or if you're here this morning, make your way to the front bench and meet with one of our elders as we sing, stand and sing this next song.